But this morning, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and it's not just a theme of today where we're talking about teams, and um, I'm doing my part. I want you to know this is grace. I'm, I have been a lifelong Steeler fan, um, but ever since the debacle back in 2005 where the Seahawks lost to the Steelers and everybody complained about bad calls and bad refereeing, I've almost been afraid for my life. Uh, to wear a Steelers shirt in Seahawk country. Uh, I think the Seahawks are great, uh, all of that stuff. But, but the best team on the planet is right here around you. And, and football has its limitations. And, and sometimes, especially if you're a person that never played football, you think, I just don't get it. Uh, I've coached uh, track, uh, team sport. But guess what? Everybody's doing their individual part and yet you're still part of a team. And just because you're not all gathered together in one spot on a field with plays running this course doesn't mean you're not part of the team. I've also been in wrestling, team sport, even though it's only me and another person competing, but overall you're still on a team doing what you're doing so that you're helping a team. And, and maybe those different concepts are easier for you than thinking maybe just football or basketball or what we'd call an organized team sport. But the reality is God uses all different kinds of people, all different kinds of talent, all different kinds of backgrounds and society uh, spots and financial points and histories and bad times and good times. He puts them all together and it says that he works together for our, for our good. But he uses this very clear illustration. If you've been in church for any time, you've probably heard this or read this, and you should. But the great part about this is if you just think about football teams, basketball teams, there's there's always a draft, right? And you put yourself out there hoping that somebody's going to recruit you, draft you, pick you. And what happens if you don't get picked? There's that feeling, Okay? We do this from a very early age. If you ever played dodgeball at school, right? They pick teams. What happens when you're the last person picked? It's like, well, there's you and the kid in the wheelchair. Hmm. Can I tell you on God's team, you've been picked. You've been picked. He says that he's already demonstrated his love towards you. In fact, it goes even farther. He chose you. You didn't choose him. He chose you. And that's despite where you've come from, how if you're tall, small, short, round, thin, black, white, purple, green, smart, not so smart, country, city, educated, not so educated, doesn't matter. He chose you. And you might look around this morning and say, maybe God and I need to talk about some of the people he's chosen But can I tell you this morning, he sees in you what you don't see, and he sees in other people what we can't see, because God's all about our heart and our motivation, not about, because guess what, this doesn't make me a Seahawk this morning. We can all wear the jerseys, we can make it say whatever we want on the back, but it doesn't make me a Seahawk. It's not the exterior, right? 
I can even show up at the stadium and cheer and shout and, and know all the stats and know all the players' names and, and where they came from and what they're doing. And, but it still doesn't make me part of the team. And I think there's people that know about Jesus, heard about church, they know this and that, but they're still not part of the team. Whereas God says, I want you as part of the team. And it's not based on what you know. It's not based on what you wear. It's not based on whether you're injured or not. Think about that. God loves the brokenhearted. God loves those that nobody else wants to love. That's pretty amazing. I think of one of the the things that uh, I can only imagine the excitement of it from one standpoint and and the horrible failure of it from another standpoint, the NFL does something called a combine. And growing up in farm country, my thoughts on a combine is something different. It means a big machine that chops you down, right? But the combine is, is this big exclusive by invitation only where they bring in college athletes that they think are top prospects and they put them through a series of physical and mental tests to see if they're going to be worthy to join the NFL, it also increases their ability to get better salary and all this stuff, but it's based purely on their performance. Can I tell you this morning that in God's team, it's not about performance. And maybe that's a shock to you. You grew up where it was that church was about performance. I'm here to tell you that that's incorrect. Church is about God's love for us that way overlays any performance that we could ever do. Because if it's based on our performance, we all fail. If it's based on our performance, we can never measure up. If it's based on our performance, we're not smart enough, fast enough, good enough. We just can't make the team. But if it's based on His love over us and His grace over us, everybody qualifies and everybody gets to join the team. Now, I'll also be up front and tell you this. You go to different churches, you're going to find that the teams do look different. Every church has its own culture, has its own vibe, has its own feel, has its own what, what I tend to call house rules. I don't know if you had this, but uh, in my house, the, the kids would play Monopoly, and, and there was house rules, right? There's like the official rules, but then there's house rules, kind of like in our house. Uh, Derek can't be the banker because he cheats, Okay. It's a house rule, but it doesn't say it on the box, <laughs> okay? You probably understand house rules. There's stuff that happens in your house that only happens in your house. When you go to a neighbor's house or a friend's house, they have different house rules, right? And some of those are good. You're thinking, Mom, Timmy doesn't have to come in at 10. How come I have to come in at 10? And your mom says something crazy mom-like. It says that's because Timmy's mom doesn't love him very much. Regardless of the house rules, rules are not the basis of why we follow God. Rules aren't even what He expects us to keep. Because as you've heard me say many times, God is not after our rule-keeping. God's after our heart. I think church got confused for a while and it became about changing our behavior. And instead of God's Word being heart transformation, we tried to make it into behavior modification. If I can just get them to behave a certain way on Sunday between, between 10 and 11.30, they'll really love God. 
And those of you that have been through that experience, you find out you, you feel like you're drifting farther from God, and pretty soon you begin to resent the rules, and it doesn't seem like it's really changing your life, because rules never change your life. God will, though, because He's after our heart. And the harder part as our world changes is that we've sheltered our heart more. We've, we've walled off our heart more because we've experienced more hurt and more cynicism and, and more rejection. And, and yet God's here saying, I've seen you at your worst. I've seen you at your slowest, at your ugliest in the time where nobody else would possibly love you, but I do. And that seems like it's too good to be true, but I'm here to tell you it's true. And not only that, he, he wants us to be in a place where there's unlimited spots. You see, the NFL just went through their big week where they have to pair everybody down to 53 people for the team. So imagine you started out, you're one of the 70 that is initial, and then they're watching every move that you make. They're watching all the preseason play. Oh, you got too many penalties. Oh, you weren't as fast as we thought you were. Oh, you dropped some passes again. Guess what? Performance. Did you know there's unlimited spots at God's table? Unlimited spots on his team. And this may rock your theology a little bit, but it doesn't mind because I read the word. He doesn't cut anybody. He doesn't trade anybody. Thank God, right? I don't, Tony, uh, I've been watching your performance. Uh, I think we're going to trade you back to the devil. Um, he'd be happy to have you. Yeah. Isn't that great that we don't have that fear of not belonging? That fear of, is tomorrow the day I'm going to be traded, downsized, moved to number two, put on the bench? Maybe I'm now, uh, and I hate, to, I hate to say this, church, but this is where we live in. We now have free agent Christians that feel like they're, that they love God, but they're not part of any team. It's not what God wanted. And it doesn't mean that God hates those people, but something has been wrong and something has been following a process that has not allowed people to feel like they can be loved and accepted, not only by God, but by a body of people. The fact that you have breath in your lungs this morning means that you are a great candidate to be on God's team. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to mesh with everybody around you and that everybody's going to be everybody's friends because I'm also going to tell you this. Church is not a utopia place where nothing bad happens and everybody loves everybody. We are humans. But if we'll keep our eyes on Him, then we can look past the imperfections of the people around us and thank God that they look past our imperfections and the grace that God extends to us gets extended out to other people, and then we realize that we can grow together, and true love means that it doesn't mean we're besties, and we just love each other, and we take all kinds of pictures together, and eat every meal together, but what it means is we can love each other and have respect for each other, regardless if we're best friends or not. But I believe that we can find close friends in church, and we should find close friends in church, but that means we've got to come together with a common goal instead of it being, hey, you know, everybody has to be the quarterback. Well, well, if everybody's the quarterback, how do we move the ball? Nobody's blocking, nobody's hiking, nobody's, and we see this played out in what God tries to help us understand, that everything is wonderful. 
Now, here's the good news before we jump into the Bible. Look, just humor me this morning. Look to the right and to the left this morning. All right. And here's your chance to do something really fun in church because you rarely get this opportunity. And I, and I rarely ask for your participation like this. I want you to look. You can pick either right or left, whichever one. Some of you are going to just look straight ahead because you're afraid right now. That's all right. And just look at the person to your right or to your left. You choose and say, you're not that good. Now, what's crazy for me, uh, I'm a husband, so it was funny to see how many wives' necks swiveled really fast to their husband. It took no effort at all. But the husbands are like, That's why husbands hate coming to this church, because they know he only gets us in trouble. I'm not going to say that. Let's see what God has to say about this this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And, and the reason that he's saying this is because that God was, from his very beginning, knew that the church was going to come to this place, not just like it is today, but we've almost come full circle to our modern-day churches are very much like the churches of Corinth at that time. There's a blend of the church of Corinth, of the Jews that knew the law and had been following God and keeping all the rules and knew what it was to keep the Sabbath and knew what it was to go into the temple and understood sacrifice and worship and and a pattern that they had been handed down since they were children and their children's 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 all the way back to Abraham that they understood who their God was and what he wanted from them and how this was supposed to be. But there was another half of the church that was Gentile, which was everybody that was non-Jew, that didn't know the rules, that didn't know the pattern, that didn't know anything, but it experienced the incredible transforming grace of God where he says, I love you and I accept you because you're you. Now that really messed up the Jews because they're like, wait, 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 they're not keeping the Sabbath. Wait, they're not following the rules. Wait, they're eating the wrong things. Wait, they're not dressing right. Wait, they're not circumcised. Wait, they didn't do this and they haven't tried that and they're not keeping to the law of Moses. And, and Jesus comes on the scene and he says, I've become the law. I have fulfilled it. You don't have to keep it anymore. I have fulfilled the law. And I'm taking the original branch and this new Gentile branch, that's you and me, and I'm weaving them together to become something extraordinary. And they don't have to know all the rules. All they have to know is me. And there's some of you that you've known God for a long time. You grew up in a Christian family. You have a heritage. And there's some of you, like me, You didn't grow up in church. It was all new to you and you didn't know the pattern and you didn't know the laws. You didn't know what you didn't know. But you heard about something called salvation or you heard about being born again. You you thought you'd step out in what they might call a grace or an altar moment and you found an incredible radical experience where God completely changed your life. I know what it means to be from darkness to light. 
Some of you have been blessed that you've been in the light because of your heritage and you've been in the light because of your family upbringing and it wasn't a dramatic change and it doesn't mean that God doesn't love you and that you're not safe. But for those of us that didn't grow up in that, it was so strange, it was so unusual, it was so powerful, it is so awesome that I will never go back. There's nothing that compares with it. This is not a task for me. This is what I want to do to please God for the rest of my life. It's not something big and arduous and a burden. And maybe if that's how you feel, maybe you've fallen into a pattern and a law and a rule book instead of a relationship that says, hey, I love you. Not for where you've been, not who you are, not what you've done. Not because you perform really well on my team but because I love you so much, you're part of me now. I'm yours and you're mine. In fact, I love you so much, I'm making you a joint heir. (laughs) Everything I've got, you've got. Everything I'm going to inherit, you're going to inherit. And you don't have to earn it. And you don't have to perform for it. And you don't have to beg for it. In fact, I'm going to use everything that's made you to this point, all the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I'm going to use it instead of in a team. And I know we're talking about team this morning, but I'm going to use it in something bigger called a body. This is what he says. The human body has many parts. We all get that. But the many parts make up one whole body. Got that this morning? We get that, right? We all know that there's different parts of the body, but apart from the body, it's not the body, right? If I cut off my finger and throw it out in the parking lot, it's not part of my body anymore. Does that make sense? Right? Even though it's a finger. Right? But it's no longer part of the body. It's no longer connected, and Jesus talks about this a lot, how we're supposed to be connected to Him. But not only that, that we have to be connected to each other. You see, us coming together doesn't change who God is. He doesn't need us. We need each other, and we need Him. That's what He's trying to explain here. So look what He says. He said, so it is with the body of Christ. That's us this morning. And maybe you're here this morning and this is your first time in your church and you're thinking, I don't understand the pattern, the process, people singing, standing up and, and saying stuff. And just, just hang on, read your word a little bit. We try to practice what the Bible says and believe what the Bible says, even though some of it may feel uncomfortable and new to you. Just hang on. It's okay. You're safe. I don't understand all the inner workings of my body. And yet I'm like, I'm, thank God for my body. But he says that we're supposed to be this body. Now look at this. He says some of us are Jews. Some of them are Gentiles. Some of them are slaves. Some of them are free. But we have all been baptized into what? One body. How? By one spirit. The spirit of God is what binds us together. It is the glue. It is the magnet that pulls us all together. And we all share the same spirit. Look at We don't share the same background. We don't share the same parents. We don't share the same God. But you know what we do share? Same Spirit. Because when we get saved, the Spirit of God takes up residence in us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
And that is common in all of us, regardless of whether you've got long hair, no hair, wrinkles, no wrinkles. However we look, it doesn't matter. We all have the same spiritual DNA. Moving along. We share that same spirit. Verse 14, yes, the body has many different parts, and it's a big deal. It's many different parts. They're not just one part. And if we're not careful, we fall into this trap of trying to be a part that we're not designed to be. And it's very much like if you're married, you'll understand this. If you think you might get married one day, log this away, especially if you're a man. This will help you in the years to come. But they used to say uh, traditional wedding vows, and they used to say something like this, and now the two shall become one. And you think, that is so awesome, and it's, and it's got such a great symbolism. The problem is you're going to argue for the next 50 years over who is the one. And if you're a husband, you already know this. What's yours is hers, and what's hers is hers, and she is the one. Okay? I'm not sure that that's theologically sound, but I know from life application that that's what happens. Does it change my love? Not one bit. Does it change how I thought from beginning day one to now? You betcha. Because often what we think and life application are two separate things, right? Just like coming to church, we may have an idea of what we think church is going to be. Oh, it's all these great people and and, and they're they're just good people that are going to love me. Or, man, these are like the high level people there and they're going to judge me. They're going to think poorly of me. Or these are those horrible people. All they are is vindictive and mean and rude. And, well, it depends on what kind of church you've encountered. I find that church people are generally very forgiving, generous, loving people. I've encountered a few, but have you not encountered those kind of people out in the world? They didn't stop you from going back to your job. I'm never going back to that place. That boss is mean. He doesn't care about me at all. All he wants is production. Yeah, good luck. (laughs) But we're not just the same. We're from different parts, but we are part of one body. Notice what he says. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not the hand. Look at very different parts of the body. It doesn't make it any less a part of the body. You see what he's saying? No one part of the body is better or less or bigger or badder or anything else. It's just part of the body. Now, this is hard for us because we instantly, as human beings, we look at things and we make snap decisions. We look at things and we make judgments. We look at things and we decide and we find a pecking order. Well, he looks a little shorter than me. He looks taller than me. They look like they're richer than me. They look like they're poorer than me. They look like they're dumber than me. They look like they're whatever we do. We make those. Whether we ever verbalize or not, we're doing that all the time when we're watching people. And God just sees the body. All these different parts, all of them very valuable, all of them connected, all of them hopefully working together for the common good of the body. You see, I talked a little bit earlier about the NFL combine, and it is. It is to weed out people that they don't want to bring into the draft. It's also a combination of skills. But do you know that if you really look up the word 
combine instead of combine. I think it's those southern people, they just talk funny. Combine. I live in mobile. You have a mobile phone? No, I have a cell phone. I don't have a mobile phone. But to combine means to what? Unite more than one thing together. And specifically, it says a group of people that come together for a common purpose or a common goal. That's what combine means. Do you realize if we would actually get under the love and the grace of God, of what He's trying to combine us into, that we are unstoppable, that our combined abilities, that our combined prayers, that our combined talents, that our combined love, that our combined strength, not just physically, but more importantly spiritually, that there's nothing that stands in our way. The problem is that the devil has a process of making us want to be, instead of one, he wants us to be individuals. And there's a big difference between being one and being me. You see, the world's telling you, be you. That's great. But you alone is a bad place to be. God says, I want you to be one. Not faceless, not clones, but one thing interconnected that is so wonderful and dynamic and strong and healthy that nothing stops it, but we seem to lose our vision of that. We seem to say, well, I'm not a foot, I'm not a hand, or I wish I was that, I wish I was this. And he speaks to this right here. Something, just because you're different, does not make you any less a part of the body. Verse 16, and if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Right? Brings it right into perspective, doesn't it? He doesn't need you to be somebody else. You are the best at being you. You don't have to be somebody else. And God accepted you just as you. And He's the only one that knows how you're going to change and mature and how you're going to become something. The whole body were an eye. How would you hear? If your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? Look at verse 18. But our bodies have many parts, and who's in control? Are you getting it this morning? And God has put each part just where he wants it. Now, I, I, I told you if you've been around me any length of time, you know, I, I try to leverage some strong truth with some humor, but it's hard to be funny about this one part, and, and I'm just going to say it so that maybe we can move past it. And if this is you this morning, you don't have to stand up and admit it. You don't have to do anything other than say, maybe, maybe I need to change. I have found that there are people that come to church for them instead of for the whole body. And it's all about them. 
What can you do for me and what can I do here and where's my place and what's my this, what's my that? And, and some of that's enthusiasm and I love enthusiastic people. I want to belong. How do I get in? But then you find their heart when maybe there's a process and we have a process here at New Life for, for a reason. And I'll, I want you to understand this. One of my main jobs is not only to tell you God's truth, but to protect you. Did you know that? And I vowed from the very first week that I was here that a couple of things. One, I can't sing, I can't dance, I can't entertain. Not even in my dreams can I do those things. But I would tell you the truth. And I would make sure that we have a a place here where I'm going to protect you. I'm going to bear the responsibility of a gatekeeper, of the sheepdog. I'm not the shepherd, God is. But I am the sheepdog to make sure. And we've had weird stuff happen here. We've had people come in and do weird stuff. We've had people come in and try weird stuff. And, and have I dealt with them with grace? Yes. But I'm also not going to unleash them onto a body that I love so very much just because, well, you know, they're good people. There's lots of good people, but there's also a bunch of kooky, flaky, weird people. Years ago, I had a guy come in here very angry. I call him the angry prophet. He's just full of venom and wants to, I mean, he's the guy straight out of the book of Judges and just got nothing out of the church, this, and they need to blah, blah, and came in here and he came up to me and he told me I need to have my wife move down because God says that he's supposed to be my right-hand man. And I don't even know your name, dude. I would think that if God was telling you this, he would be telling me this and preparing me and I'd be like, man, This is awesome. God has just confirmed what he's been laying on my heart. And I didn't say to him, and maybe I should have, now that I'm 50, I feel like I'm getting, I got my first AARP thing in the mail this week. (laughs) I think I'm allowed to be crotchety now and nobody, oh, he's 50. And maybe I should have just said, dude, just take you and your anger and find another church to be angry at. But I also learned from God that I want to treat people the way I want to be treated. Did I move my wife down? Nope. <laughs> Did I let that man speak? Nope. Did I tell him to leave? Nope. Because I have found that people that don't get their way tend to not stay because they don't care about the body. And God doesn't say it in here, but this is Tony's version. They're a parasite. We understand what that means in today's world. It's called cancer. Something that feeds off the body but doesn't help the body. It only takes from the body. Something the body tries to wall off and remove so it doesn't harm the body. But it's not my job to call that person cancer or punch them in the nose or escort them into the parking lot. I extend grace. But it doesn't mean I give access Not because of me, he's not going to hurt me, but because I love this body. Because I want to make sure that we have a process in place. I want to make sure that what we do is biblical. And that every person that comes and tells me, God told me this, that may be great. Let's search the scriptures together. Let's take some time and let's find out, are you here about you? And you just want to use your gift or are you just enthusiastic? I want to belong. Uh, It's hard to tell in just the first minute, but I've had people walk in and they want to be on the worship team walking in right off the street. I don't know you. I don't know if you're saved. I don't even know your name. 
And you're thinking, well, this is supposed to be a church. We accept everybody. Yes, we do accept everybody. But did you know the Bible also says in 1 Thessalonians that we should know the people that labor among us to avoid certain things just like that? It's not a, a big process. It's not a testing. It's not a combine of your performance. But let's find out if you believe what we believe. Let's find out if you're stable or if you're just a salesman, if you're just a cancer, that you're just coming to get what you want. You just want the directory so you can start making phone calls to all of our people to sell them stuff. I'm not about that. You can do that someplace else, thank you. I'm not going to let somebody unleash weird theology on you and have to clean up that mess and have you confused about whether the Bible say that or not. This should be a place where we can come and we don't always all get it. I still don't get everything I read in here. But there must be a process that we can love each other and forgive each other and we can learn and grow without allowing cancer and wolves to come in that have nothing to do with the body. They're just there for them. But it's also not just us four and no more and nobody else gets to play. Everybody has a part. Everybody has a piece. Everybody is valuable. But there is a process so that we make sure the body is safe. And maybe you've never encountered that before. And maybe you're wondering, hey, uh, how, do I, how do I get into this body? First of all, you're already accepted into God's body. <laughs> but maybe you come and talk to me. Maybe you come and say, hey, what's the process? Maybe how do I... How do I do this? How do I use my gifts? Great, we'd love to help you with that. We have a process specifically designed for that. Now, if you can't wait or you have to do it now, I'm going to begin to question your motives. But just know that that's why we do what we do. And here's the beauty of this. God never uses the word team. That's something that we come up with because of, of understanding our different parts. But he also says that we should be like a family. Now, for some of you, that's a painful thing. <laughs> but a godly family. Not the weird, worldly, disruptive, messed up, brutal families that many of us have grown up in or have been exposed to. We're talking about good parents and children that are provided for. We're talking about parents that stay together. We're talking about kids that learn to obey. We're talking about Something that's not just a structure, but it's a home. The best vision of what family means, not the worst vision of what family means. Because even in family that love each other, you be honest, do you have disagreements? Do you have differences of opinion? Has there ever been quarrels? Have you ever told a sibling, I hate you? Have you ever been the big brother or sister and did something because the other one was a little brother or sister? And it didn't mean you didn't love them, but you were just exerting your right as top dog, right? I'm not talking about that kind of family. I mean, I've done that. Given my brother noogies, laid on him with my knees on his chest to try to see if I get my spit all the way down to his face and suck it back up, all that crazy, stupid stuff. knowing that he wants that donut, so I lick the donut so he can't eat it, all that stupid stuff. We did it. We're brothers. 
That's not the family that Jesus is talking about, okay? And maybe there's churches that operate like that, but I don't want a church that operates like that. You stay away from my donuts, okay? But you don't have to wear a jersey. You don't have to compete. You don't have to perform. You don't have to be the strongest, the fastest, the most beautiful, the one that knows the Bible back and forth. All you have to do is be willing to be part of not just, like I said, you're already accepted into God's team, but wanting the common goal of this family, of this team. Because when we aren't together, that's a horrible place to be. Division is not what God wants. And that's what that means. If, you, if you're not a, a word scholar, if you're not a vocab nerd like me, die meaning two. Vision meaning purpose, goal, sight. Two different ways of doing things. What does that do? Always splits it up. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm the boss and everything goes, but it means we're going to go by the Bible, and it means we've got to look out for the common good of this body as a whole, not just your interpersonal needs. And maybe that sounds like a bunch of business speak. Please come and talk to me. Just realize that God doesn't need a jersey. He died for you. He's forgiven you. He has saved you. He has placed you in this place, maybe for the first time to hear something rational and understanding that there's a purpose to why we do this, that there's a goal to why we do this. It's not just an exercise of can I sit still for an X amount of time so that I can make it to heaven. Your basis of heaven is Jesus Christ alone, not sitting in a seat in a church. But if you are saved, then he's like, I've placed you in a body, and I want you to be in a body. I don't want you to be a free agent, and I definitely don't want you to be a cancer. But it, and it doesn't mean that we don't care about your needs. But when your need is to drive everybody else to your need, something's out of whack. We have time to pray for your needs. I want to know your needs. Let's try to meet each other's needs. That's teamwork. That's family. But if everybody has to change to meet your needs, that's not family. That's dictatorship. That's consumerism. It's not Christ-like. Just so you know where we're going, here's here's our mission, vision, values for our church. Maybe this doesn't sound very spiritual, but I think it's some of the most spiritual things that we do. If if we don't know where we're going, how are we going to know that we get there? Our mission as a church, as the body of Christ, comes right from the Bible that we should lead others into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We're not trying to get people to do more church. We're not trying to get people to join a friends club. This is not a dating community. This is not a sales community. This is a place where we want to lead other people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And that means they're not perfect now, and they won't be perfect until Jesus comes back for us or we die. We're always growing. You haven't arrived yet. You've been saved 90 years. You haven't arrived yet. You're still hopefully growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ. This doesn't happen overnight, but it can happen anywhere, anytime with anyone, whether today is your first day of being saved or your three millionth day of being saved. It's not about taking a class, and it's not about attending a service. 
And that's what's hard. People sometimes want a class. Boom, okay, the class is done. No, this type of thing goes on. It means your coworkers. It means your friends. It means the people you like, the people you don't like. Our job as a church, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ is to find other people and to begin to point them to Jesus Christ, not to a pastor, not to a teaching, but to Jesus. And you can do that anywhere. You can do that fishing. You can do that golfing. You can do that drinking coffee. You can do that even through social media. You can still point people to Jesus Christ. You don't have to be a natural born evangelist. You don't have to know Bible verses. But you can point people to Jesus and help lead them into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Secondly, what's our vision? Glad you asked. Just like every good team, even Jesus Christ. He told us to do this in the Bible. All of this is Bible-based. Look what he says. Love God and others. He's told us to do that, right? If you don't love God, you're going to have a hard time loving others. And then we're going to serve God. And we're going to serve others. You see, that's the purpose of why I said God never intended free agents. Because free agents are all about them. They're not on a team. They're not serving a team. It's just about them and what they believe in trying to get to heaven. Our job is not to just me get to heaven. Jesus is taking care of that. My job is to get everybody I know into the body so that they make it to heaven too. Somebody extended that privilege to me. Somebody invited me through an altar call. Somebody shared Christ with me so that I could be part of a team instead of just saying, I've got this great news now and I'm going to keep it. It's not what he wants from us. And I understand you may be scared by that, but our job here is we first of all focus on God. We love God and then others. We serve God and serve others. And we celebrate God. This is what we do every Sunday. We come together not to hear great worship and music, and and they do that. But it's a celebration of who God is and what he's doing in our lives. not just at church. Can you celebrate a co-worker that's had a, a great experience? Yes. We should be people that celebrate. And then our values. We want to make sure that we're committed to looking at and advancing our mission and vision. We want to connect with others in small groups. That's how we build this body. You can't do it by yourself. We want to care for and invest in others around us. How do, how do we do that? You've got to make some friends. You've got to remember some names. And, and I hear people say this all the time. You know, I'm really bad with names. I understand that. But I find that we place value where something's important. I'll bet you you know your doctor's name your dentist's name. Who are you here to see? Um, I know he was a dentist. Um, he wore like white scrubs. You hear what I'm saying? If people become important, we'll remember names, we'll remember faces, and And this may be a shocker to you, depending on where you've come from, but we're not that big a church that you can't start remembering more than just a few people's names. The only reason you don't is you just don't care that much. You just don't care enough. 
And I know that sounds harsh, but that's the truth. You remember all your friends' names? You would, your friends would be highly offended if you've been going to lunch for five years and you say, hey, I want to induce you to... Now, I know we've been eating together for five years, but I am so bad with names. What's your name again? Now, if you have Alzheimer's or something like that, you're off the hook. But the rest of it is just about investment and care. How do we do this in real life? And let's get out of here. We invite you to join the mission. Not your mission, the big mission, part of the body. How do we lead others into that growing relationship with Jesus Christ? We invite you to be part of something that's bigger than you, something that's eternal. This doesn't end. This keeps going on. This doesn't die. This is, this is an awesome thing that God has called us to. Bring a friend. Life is about people. Life is about being together. And we believe that life is better together. It's not all about us. There's things I don't like about church. There's things I may not like about you. I know there's things you don't like about me. But it's not about just us. There's something bigger at stake here. There's something better at stake here. And then choose community. Stop being the free agent. Stop being the cancer. Find some people, two, three, four, five. Get together. Find some people like you, or even better, be, be adventurous and find some people not like you. Man, it would do my heart just such good. Can you imagine seeing a multi-generational group? You've got a couple of of teens and college age and 40-somethings and 80-somethings that they meet together for coffee and they share life and experience and learn from each other. And how awesome and life-giving is that? We don't have to clone up with each other and, okay, their hair looks like my hair. And it doesn't have to be like that. We need each other. We need those small groups. And lastly, be give generously. You are surrounded by generous people at this church. Ever since this church was formed, there have been people that have been praying, people that have been giving, people that have been serving. We should be generously giving not just our our funds, but our time and our talent and our energy and our prayers. Because people have sacrificially chosen to honor God through this, and it's been our blessing to be part of it, that somebody gave the money to build this building and buy these chairs and put down carpet and and pray for an atmosphere that God's worship and God's spirit shows up. Just a few simple things of of what team really means, of what body really means. You're welcome to check us out. See if we're the real deal. See if this is really what the Bible says. But We also invite you to follow Jesus Christ. That's really the first step because if you don't follow him, it's going to be tough to do the rest of that. Let him guide you. Let him make you into an important part of the body. And then know that we expect you to join the team. Not my team. God's team. And his team is all about winning the lost. His team is all about other people. It's another's first kingdom. Maybe that's news to you, but that's what it's really all about. And if you want to be part of that, you can sign up for getting the game. You can go to the coffee shop. They'll tell you how to do that. But there's nobody here better or worse. We just have differences. 
draw part of something powerful, something bigger. And I would just encourage you and admonish you, get known. Get known by somebody around you. Don't be afraid. They're probably just as weird as you are. Just as weird as you are. Probably just as as much worried about the stuff you're worried about. 